This is The Life of Tri, powered by Triathlete Magazine Canada. Let's go and chat to Josh Amberger. Josh Amberger, uh, it's a weird, weird time in the world at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I'm on a podcast for the first time in maybe years. So, yeah, it kind of tells you not much has been going on on my end recently. <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know, you, we're obviously mindful of what's going on with the world. There's some, you know, there's some really ordinary things going on. I, I get that. I just think, you know, the the world needed a bit of light and a little bit of content and just something to listen to. This is commercial free. We're not making a buck out of this. This is all about just, you know, telling a few stories and uh, maybe giving some folks who are cooped up, um, you know, something to listen to. Um, where where are you at the moment? Where's this, Where do we find you in the world? Yeah, so I'm uh, at home in Brisbane, in Australia. So I'm actually here. I planned to be here for up until about this time. And then normally in May, uh, at some point, like we start heading overseas. So yeah, that's definitely not happening at the moment. So we're kind of staring down the barrel of our first winter at home in over a decade, which uh, by your means and, and Canada, uh, I know this is for, for Triathlete Canada, I mean, it's not much winter at all, so it's, it's not going to be all bad news. When you try and talk winters with a Canadian, you you just get your ass laughed at all the time. <laughs> I, like yeah. every time you say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's nine degrees, they go, what, nine below? And you're like, no, no, just nine. And they're like, yeah. Yeah, no, no, good. But Canadians know some shit about snow. Yeah, even then, this is like a Queenslander comparing to a Victorian about winter. So it's it's like another level of soft, really. <laughs> we know. I can. I mean, I I live down on the coast in in Victoria, and we know that the when the water turns and you start changing wetsuit thickness, that's the only really way because you don't get snow or anything like that. You might get some cold days, but it's certainly not. It's not dire like it is in, you know, where they're digging their cars out of snow. And you spend a bit of time in Oregon. Is that where you generally head over? Yeah. Uh, when I'm in the US, uh, early days, I used to go to Boulder. And in the last sort of half decade, I've been heading to Oregon, uh, which by the time we get there in May, there's still a bit of snow around. So it's kind of cool um, to head there, even though it's quite warm. So that's a bit of a novelty. But yeah, um, apart from the US, uh, whenever I'm in Europe, uh, well, I pretty much split the the northern hemisphere somewhere between Europe and, and and Oregon at the moment. What's the vibe like in Oregon, say versus Boulder? I mean, Boulder obviously was the you know and still is fairly popular, isn't it? I mean, a ton of people are there, but is it are you, are you over it? Was it the move there better just because Boulder was too crowded, too many? What what was the move? For me, it was um, people really. I uh, hooked up with um, the co- my coach at the time I started going to Bend was uh, Cliff English, who was working with some athletes in Bend. So, and I signed with, with Waddy Inc. Um, so, yeah, I went to, to Bend to, to train with Cliff and the, his squad, and um, which also doubled as uh, the home of Heather Jackson and, and Sean Watkins. So I headed there for something new and, 
definitely, yeah, Boulder started to get, you definitely noticed the traffic. And as like a young triathlete who's, who's got no money, you go there with, you know, you, you try bike and you ride your try bike to the grocery store, to the swimming pool, you lock your, your $10,000 bike um, outside the, <laughs> outside the, the public <laughs> swimming pool, um, which is, yeah, it's, it's an absolute joke. So, um, yeah, I, I found it much easier to get around in, in Redmond. Uh, sorry, not, not Redmond, um, Bend, Redmond's the next town. Um, yeah, you, you, are it, the roads are much less busier and just generally like a bit friendlier, to be honest. Do you get noticed? Like, are you, you at the point where you're getting noticed or is it like, you know, the, the, the Bend folks kind of know that there's a, you know, community of lycra clad people who might be somewhat very, very good at what they do? Um, to be honest, like the only place I get noticed is like when I rock up for master swimming at, at 7am with Matt Liedo <laughs> and I'd, jump in a, a pool with a bunch of, of age groupers and um, generally they know who I am. At, at least after the warm-up, they'll get an idea that, that um, I'm probably a bit better than what they are. Um, but around town, <laughs> it, everyone's doing something outdoors in, in uh, Bend. You're not, you're not anyone special if you're, if you're out riding a bike and that's, that's part of like the, the – atmosphere of the town really is everyone's whether it's a road bike a mountain bike um, if you're an old bloke you might ride an e-bike uh everyone's kind of getting around town um, on bikes so it's, it's actually really fun where do you sit on the e-bike I, I was out now preface this by saying that you know as an even as an age grouper i was very probably average but even now getting out on the mountain bike which is the one safe place i feel like i'm not going to get hit by a truck and then watching some dude on an e-bike just hammer past you um, mm. and give you a – they give you a look. I was like, what's <laughs> the look about, man? You, you, you're assisted. This is, you know, I'm old school. I'm using my legs. Um, what, do you, what do you make of all that new tech? Yeah, it's just I, I kind of I, – when I see it, you know, you, you see the e-bike first. Like I've never had one pass me. Um, but when I'm riding and I see one guy up a hill, you're just like, that looks dodgy. And then you're like, you know, cause the, 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 uh, locomotions just looks different and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's an e-bike. And, but I haven't really given it much thought until all this lockdown and, and race cancellations. I've actually been, I logged into Strava for the first time in 10 years and I've started uploading my rides to Strava and, and I've noticed that all these sections I'm doing on my cross bike where I'm going full gas, um, like hitting all time power records. And I still don't get the crown because some e-biker, um, has got it ahead of me. Um, and That's now, yeah, now, now I'm starting to get like a little bit upset about it. So, <laughs> um, Does, do you reckon, are you like, do you reckon bike doping exists? Is it like, I know they caught that one cross cyclocross person and there's all, I mean, there's always talk about it in cycling and stuff just because they, it's probably like, you know, here in AFL or NRL or, you know, NFL, they get bored and they just start making stuff up or talking about stuff. Do you reckon there's a thing? Is it a thing? Yeah. You know, like I definitely think that some people would take advantage of it and have done when the technology was like much less known. I mean, we've all seen like the conspiracy videos and which are highly entertaining. Um, I'm not going to say which ones, you know, I, I, I kind of agree with, but 
I don't know if so much that was ever around in triathlon. I think it would be much easier to pick up on it if it was. Um, but, yeah, definitely in some shape or form, like dodgy people have been have been uh, getting across that stuff, which is actually funny. Like um, recently, a couple of weeks ago, it came out that a long-term competitor of mine from Kazakhstan, he was – well, he's, he's a Kazakh and he defected to Ukraine. He finally got done for EPO um, in an out-of-competition test in Kona last year, believe it or not. Um, and and so does that, I mean, that, that's obviously got to annoy you though, right? Yeah, I mean, it kind of does. We, we knew that there was something dodgy. We used to race this guy in Asia um, 10 years ago as, as juniors and he cleaned us up like every time. And <laughs> like we respected yeah. him as a competitor, but... At the same time, like you kind of, you kind of got a sense that that something was going on, and yeah, he's finally got picked up at, right at the end of his career. So I don't really, it, I don't really have any emotions about it now. But it's just interesting to note that, like, yeah, people are still cheating. So it's it kind of it, it isn't it? I mean, I suppose you know after the whole you know the operation Puerto and all that other stuff that went down years ago, and then you know, all the US stuff. And, you know, I guess obviously people are always going to cheat and want to cheat and all that kind of stuff. Is it, is it the cross part? Like I often think that it's the bigger sports with more money can get it done because they just have cash. Like, whereas yeah. triathletes notoriously sleep in their cars and have, you know, five cents <laughs> rattling around the glove box. Yeah, exactly. So, and well, I mean, this guy got, he got tested in an out of competition testing Kona and had, EPO with him like in Kona so I think that that kind of opens up like all these other questions but definitely in triathlon it's it's a lot different um just just to just to imagine like the, the resources behind pro tour teams and then triathletes it's a whole other other thing so I think if a triathlete's cheating they've got to be really motivated to cheat it's not a scenario where some coach or or team team uh, pressure gets to them so i think it kind of makes it worse when a triathlete gets done to be honest <laughs> and it's i reckon too i i've long been a suspect of age groupers because triathlon age groupers are cashed up generally it's not a it's not a really poor demographic it's you know they've got money um you know and back in the first off the bike days when we were doing all the advertising and stuff that was part of the appeal for advertisers was that triathletes had cash and could spend it i reckon there i think age groupers in bike doping i reckon there's a few that are doing it i know i'm not i don't know where or where i'm got no basis for this but i just reckon they do because they can get away with it no one checks their bikes and they walk into transition and i would have thought there'd be doping going on as well on a fairly good scale because they've got money yeah i mean well people people are getting done when they when there's testing they they catch people generally so in the age groupers i was last year i did the malulaba triathlon and uh, malulaba is a race that is now owned by ironman and um seldom was there ever testing done um for a long time when when ironman started buying the races up in australia i think the testing was the first to go like you can win noosa try at the moment and not get tested because it's not in their budget um, to have testing for whatever reason. But last year at Malulaba, um, ASADA, so the Australian Anti-Doping Anti Authority came in and tested hundreds of age groupers 
Um, and I, I got second in the open race, so I was tested there. Um, it was just, it was just kind of good to see that that someone was willing to, to to check the check the playing field. Um, so like hands yeah. on hand, yeah, like credit to to Asada for coming in there where, where others have have kind of dropped the ball. Um, I don't know. It's all about the money though, it. isn't it? Like it's about the money too, isn't it? As you said, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's like, just go and test athletes. It's a massive cost, yeah. So, like, I always, um, if if for whatever reason testing disappears, um, you always want there to be testing, but you kind of know at the same time why it's probably gone is because someone can't pay for it anymore. So, yeah. And do you, I mean, do you know, like, do you, like you you see a lot of these athletes, and as you said, you know, the last fellow who got popped. Um, you kind of knew, but do you know, like, is there talk around? I mean, it's not like you, you get a pro peloton together, you know, at every race where they might be swapping stories and things like that or what have you, but is there general talk? And, you know, I'm not asking for names or that, but is there any general rumors and talk about, you know, maybe someone doing something like that? Does it happen or is it just kind of, you know, well, everyone does their own thing? I think, yeah, naturally, of course, like people talk. I mean, when Sanders came on the scene and, in like 2014, 2015, and was putting up these like freakish performances where just no one ever expected a triathlete to be able to perform like that. Um, of course, people were like, this dude's come from nowhere. Um, he's super dodgy. But I think, you know, over the course of time, you see that he's just a super, super human athlete. He's just a freak. And there's freaks that, yeah. that come out all the time. I mean, we're starting to see more and more freaks like, um, Sam Long uh, just broke Sanders' record going up the Mount Lemmon KOM um, in Arizona. And, like, it, it's it's just remarkable to see the length that – like, they're beating, like, Tom Danielson up there by five minutes. And Tommy D, he's banned from from cycling for life, I think, because he got caught three times. <laughs> and, yeah. um, I mean, I, I know Sam, he's, he's a really good guy. He's just kind of like – He's like a dumber Lionel, to be honest. Um, but uh, <laughs> super talent, and the, it's pretty easy to ask the question about these guys when all of a sudden they come out of nowhere. But I think triathlon attracts a much more genuine person. Um, and but of course, there, there's the, the guy I was speaking about before. He's Eastern European, so um, sometimes you can kind of break it down a bit further and look at where guys come from and look at the history. And maybe that's when people start to ask a few more questions. Um, yeah. Well, there's a geographic, you know, I mean, Europe and, and you don't want to point fingers, but you know, that's where the epicenter of the doping community lived and worked and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of get that, I suppose that, and I think anybody who beat, you know, when I was pretend racing, anyone who beat me, I just assumed they were on something. Um, <laughs> well, that buddy of mine used to say all the time, he'd go, oh, I'd love to get on it just so I could smash the Thursday morning ride, you know, just to beat up his mates, which kind yeah. of sounded pretty funny at the time. Well, it's, but it's, it's certainly... Um, it's funny now um, to... I just thought of like that the, there's a whole new conversation around doping going on and um, around obviously like Zwift and, and esports. Um, and mm. I remember when the lockdown started, uh, the Spanish guys were all, they all couldn't leave their rooms. And David McNamee tweeted something like his goal in the lockdown was to win a Zwift race. And he, he realized quickly that he actually had 
no chance to win a Zwift race at all because there's just like crazy numbers going on everywhere. And that's, it's kind of like this whole other thing um, of like a people being deliberately dishonest about their weight and, you know, which obviously skews what's per kilo and, and that's mm-hmm. like how they perform and, or like a people just, they have no idea what that, what they weigh or about their, if their power meter is calibrated or not. Or so it's just, it's kind of like an interesting thing to see where the, the online racing goes. And if we start racing for money, I know Zwift, um, in our group email, uh, amongst the, the pro, the pro triathletes with the race they're putting on, they, they mooted the idea of, of putting out prize money. And I was kind of like, I hope that never happens because that's just going to open Pandora's box. I think it'd be way too hard to, to check, um, all the data and make sure it's reliable. But then, then again, I mean, are we kind of taking it a bit too seriously when we start worrying about like fact checking, like virtual races and and so on? Well, I mean, virtual races, I mean, at what point are we, I I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, we're so connected. Everybody's so connected all the time, you know, through watches and phones and, and everything else that goes on. And now this is another form of connection. I just, you know, where I don't know whether we're overdoing it, whether it's a good thing. Um, and as you said, I, I think personally that where anyone will cheat, they'll cheat. Mm. I mean, I'm a cynic and I think that anybody has the opportunity to cheat, they'll take that opportunity to, to have a swing and maybe cheat, you know. So maybe we're going to, you know, find out, especially if they start offering prize money because obviously money's driving a lot of this. But, um, you know, in terms of that virtual space, you know, can you see it with, you know, once the lockdown unfolds and people start getting back to a three-dimensional life, where, where do you see it? I mean, is it something that's going to go on forever, do you think? I think that Zwift would probably love that instance, but I think once everyone can rejoin events and, and people can actually hold events and people can travel. I think that, and this was one of my first thoughts once everything started to be canceled. And um, it might be one of those cases where you don't know what you got till it's gone. And for a long time, mm-hmm. I think we've all kind of grown a bit tired of, of the same races every year. And at many points have I actually kind of said to myself, like, you know, this is starting to get a bit stale, um, going to the same places or just wondering if people still have the same interest in the sport that I do and which I, I love triathlon and I'm, I'm hugely passionate about it and I love racing. Um, but of course I've always thought, you know, it's, it kind of could be very easy to lose interest in it at the same time. Um, if people, you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a professional, it's what I do, but people who aren't professional who do it as a hobby. I mean, there's so much else you can do um, these days for hobby, for exercise and and so on. And I really think that people are going to, they're not like they can't wait to get back out there and race and do events. And I think that it will be like a, you know, a reemergence of of the race and people will kind of find their love and, and want to be out there on the race course again. So I think that... Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, isn't it? People have got the same... I remember, I mean, I went to Kona reporting on it nine or ten years straight. And by the ninth year, I was just... You don't fly in with the same outlook. 
Yeah. You know, you just roll in, you go, here we go again. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And it's just, you know, the first three or four times I was there, I was, you know, jumping through the, it was still exciting even as a job. I can imagine as a pro showing up to the same events each year, it's like, right, oh, it's November, which means I'm going to be in Noosa or I'm going to be somewhere, you know, yeah. or it's, you know, June, I'm going to be up in Cairns racing or whatever it is. Um, do you, uh, it, it, when, when the lockdown does happen though, it also depends on what races survive because everybody's taking a fairly sizable beating at the moment. Yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, what's, what's insurance going to look like on the other side of this for, for, um, for race directors and people who put on events, I'm sure like insurance around gathering crowds is going to be massive. Um, and who knows who's going to be able to, to put up the cost for that. Um, but I, I definitely think that, um, races are going to look much more attractive on the other side of this uh, when, yeah. when, when we can all yeah. get back to doing what we're doing. And, you know, we're talking about if races are going to be around at the end. And of course I've thought about if athletes, are, you know, other professional athletes are going to be around as well. I mean, a lot of people only get by like just on, on what they're earning through races and sponsorship. And who knows if, if, um, they're going to be willing to, to commit to that again on the other side if there's fewer races and more competition. And so it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, and of course, like the other thing I've thought about is as I'm just turned 31, so a lot of guys at the top end of the sport really are kind of getting on um, and they're missing, missing kind of like their last few cream years of, of good performance. Yeah. So it'll be interesting and p particularly with the Olympics as well. So my partner, Ashley Gentle, um, as most people would know, is, you know, the top Australian ITU female. And uh, we're wondering who of her competition is had planned to retire after this year or have babies and whatnot. And if they mm -hmm. can commit to another Olympic year or potentially even Olympics, another Olympic cycle, if, if, if Tokyo doesn't go ahead. So it's definitely. Well, like and again, a, it's that uncertainty, isn't it? You, you've got, you know, 2021 being touted as an Olympic year, but that's again, very questionable from what I've been reading. Um, and as you said, there's an unknown, there's a lot of unknowns watching the challenge guys, you know, doing their um, conversations online about the, the races and Roth and, and all that, that was watching Felix do that was, you know, it was terrible to watch because he's mm. been an institution in the sport forever. His family's been around forever. And uh, you know, all of us who have walked the, triathlon world line have probably seen him and you know spoken to him at some point it's um again it's hard you know iron man at the moment you know the acquisition has been offered by pto whether iron man looks at that and laughs or not they certainly haven't been happy with it or, mm. or wanted it um you know who knows the state of play and you mentioned earlier too about the, the fact that age groupers have got so many other things to do i mean that's the other thing that has got triathlon scared shitless i would have thought was that, you know, I can go and do a mountain bike ride tomorrow. I can go and do a adventure race or I can go and do a, you know, trail run or something like that. And that's these race companies have to further their footprint. Yeah. And, and offer more, you know, it just seems. And then that is cost, not, not exactly cost effective either. The fact that you've got to offer something else in order to get everyone across at the moment. There's a sport for choices, athletes. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, as, as part of like the professional cohort, um, that's racing. I, I think that personally, there hasn't been many more exciting times 
to be a triathlete than um, than like recent years with the the crazy performances, um, the personalities, and you know just like the whole you know Sanders, Worth, um, Sebi, these guys they're massive personalities, yeah. massive performers, and I think that like yeah, it's, it's just never been a more exciting time to, to be following the sport. So I hope that people still want to stay connected with it. Um, yeah. Whenever... Well, I think you help. I think, I mean, you're, you're really, you're for mine. I mean, I, I watched my first triathlon in 1980. Oh, sugar. A while back, right. In the <laughs> mid eighties and started watching it. You know, you remind me of an eighties athlete, not just cause you ran the mullet and the, and the mo, but just your, persona it struck me as looking through and and you know just doing a little bit of reading for our chat you know that, that you're very um not gonna say 80 ish because you're not you're a contemporary thinker <laughs> but you certainly got the um the swagger and the you know that sort of hype that we knew in the 80s when there was a you know everybody had a nickname and everybody's running around doing all that stuff and there was all those rivalries and it just seemed like you know you would have fit in beautifully in both eras yeah, I, I uh, it's funny. I went to a, a sponsor conference um, in December in Scottsdale and in Arizona, and Dave Scott was supposed to go there, and he didn't turn up. So I, I took his name badge, and um, <laughs> I kind of held on to it because, like, <laughs> the dude obviously like class athlete and stuff. But you look through the pictures, and the guy was just he just looks like a god, and just like a sports god. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Who knows whether I'm subconsciously just trying to copy Dave, although Dave <laughs> Dave had a killer moustache. To my knowledge, he never had a mullet, but um I he don't did, know. But Ken Souza, Ken Souza, Mark <laughs> Allen, I mean, good God. Ken Souza, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with Ken's work, him and the two Kens, Glar and Souza. I mean, Ken Souza's setup in the eighties with the skimpy um I mean they were speedos, but he'd also he, he He'd run some really lean speedos. Oh yeah, um, the rock star hair. The guy's a legend, mate. And, I, and did the biathlons in those days, the duathlons. Yeah, it's funny because like I um talking about lean speedos. I grew up in in lean speedos as as a swimmer. <laughs> um, you know, you, the the idea as a swimmer, especially this is like well pre cheat suit days, is you get into the smallest pair of speedos you can you can dream of and away you go, you race ready, you shave down, you race ready. And um, I started, uh, everything kind of got in training, everything kind of got to briefs in like the last 10 years, everyone wanted to wear briefs and, you know, age groupers love the jammers, but I've kind of gone back the other way and, and starting to, to, to get back into my little speedos again. And I, ca- I come up with this concept the other day um, and Ash was quite impressed with it. And, you know, every, every um, chick, you know, they, they dream of like the thigh gap and all this stuff. Well, I found the, the shaft gap where you, your, speedos are, <laughs> <laughs> your speedos are so small, like they don't actually touch your body because like they can't wrap around your shaft. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That, we'll, so we'll, we'll see how, if the shaft gap takes on as, as a fashionable piece. 
it has to. You got to get the Waddy crew onto that. They'll be all over it. It's like a, you know the dudes too who are running a pair of um, speedos that are so old. They're kind of like mist. They're not actually speedos anymore. They've like lost their physical form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just... that was the uh, that was the trend in the in the early two thousands when with my swim squad and we had Olympic swimmers who it was like a badge of honor to wear your old speedos that were no longer speedos is basically like the draw cord and yeah a bit of mist hanging off you wear them above on, on top of your, of your normal ones and that's like your drag suit and that was like the badge nice. of honor yeah it's um do you like do you i, I watched a, a couple of videos of you the other day I, I was as i said doing a bit of research um do you like kona do you like the like i watched you with i'm gonna ask you one question before we do get it to the the, the crux of my question but when you sit there at breakfast with bob and poncho man's playing <laughs> you in yeah. everyone has that real stupid look on their like do you feel awkward because i feel I, I feel like i'm watching a scene out of ricky gervais <laughs> the office when i watch that i don't know where to look i'm cringing a little bit because you what's that is it comfortable on set i think the, the first thing is when you go sit next to bob um you all of a sudden you're in front of studio lights and it i i'm i'm a squinter i can't like have a photo mm. without me squinting that's why i always have to, i have to wear like sunglasses whenever i take a, a photo and you go sit next to bob and there's these studio lights and it just kills you and so i think <laughs> it's it's quite a quick process you have like one or two questions with bob like kind of you're wondering if bob actually remembers you and if he you know you know what i mean like he talks to that many people and he's so i'm like every time i go sit next to bob i'm like i don't even know if this guy knows me but i'm just gonna answer his questions and i don't know yeah definitely poncho man rings out and yeah it's kind of you're just kind of waiting for that to get done and so you can get to the to the magic with bob really I mean, I've, I look, I don't know Bob real well, I'll be honest with you. Um, and I had a number of run-ins with him in Kona and I mean, run-ins. As run-ins. In, we came across <laughs> each other. No, not run-ins. We didn't, we, no, no fisting cubs. Um, we just, you know, crossed paths and we'd always, how you going, mate? And he was a super lovely guy. Like he, you know, it's interesting when you, you, like I've worked with, you know, on Ironman Live a few times back, way back when, and, and, you know, you cross paths with Greg Welsh and, you know, Matt Lieto and those guys. And generally they're, they're, they're what you see is what you get. They're good people. Yeah. Um, Welsh in particular, he's oh, yeah. very funny to work with Kev McKinnon, all those guys. They're all very easy to talk to and, and work with. Um, Bob though, Bob's always a bit enigmatic though, like because there's so much going on in Bob's mind. I'm pretty sure th- there is a very fast computer working, a supercomputer <laughs> working that if we could harness it up, we'd solve the problems of world power because um, that dude's working on a level that's next. Oh, yeah. uh, but I always feel a bit awkward with the intros just, but do you like Conan? Do you like, like, do you like, enjoy the process? I, I sometimes get the feeling that there's, you know, a lot with Kona, it's like dog years, you know, everything's multiplied by seven, you know, the media, the interest, the, the money, the, you know, the, the value to sponsors and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So yeah, my relationship with Kona is, it's pretty straightforward really. I didn't, I'm not one of these guys who, who grew up kind of watching it. Um, I grew up yeah. in my entry to the sport was like ITU and, and racing juniors and looking up to, um, you know, the Daniel Ongers and the Frodo's and, and, um, and Gomez's and the guys that were, were cleaning up the ITU circuit. And 
kind of I only really started looking towards Ironman events once I realized I was too shit to be good at that. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I've more or less come to Kona because it's just another race that I want to do well at. So I don't really attach kind of like the romanticism to the race that some people do. And when I, whenever I want to find out more, of course, I'm always like inspired and, and amazed by the history in Kona, but I didn't really grow up with that, like at the front of my mind. So yeah. I want to, I definitely want to go to Kona and I want to, I want to win Kona and I want to do, you know, at, at the least, if I can't win it, I want to be on the podium. And, um, but for me, it's not something that I'm absolutely desperate to do every year. So this year I, I'd done it three years. Um, the first year I, I qualified automatically cause I won Ironman cans and I didn't even once I started doing Ironman, I, of course, I didn't want to go to Kona in the first year I started racing Ironman. Um, a lot of guys, you know, get the experience first and go there, but I had um, a record-breaking performance at Ironman Cairns and um, smashed a whole bunch of names, and I was kind of like, well, maybe I can I can mix it up in my first go. And so, so I took the spot and I went, and... Yeah, I spent some time off the front and it was pretty stupid race tactic, but um I got got my T V time and got, got re signed with my sponsors and they all loved it and um I had a good time regardless of what I finished. You know, some people they attach their whole emotional being to their finishing Kona. Um yeah. and even if so guys like Sebi, if if he's not winning, like if he's second, that's a failure. And yep. they, they walk away from the island miserable in most instances. But, um, yeah, I went there and had, had a fun race and I got my ass kicked. And the next year in 2018, I had some more good um, performances that year. I was second at Ironman South Africa and qualified. Um, so South Africa's pretty big race. It's, it's one of the regional champs. And I thought maybe I'd gotten to the next level where I could be at the front pack until the end of the till the end of the bike and then manage a three hour marathon and, and scrape in for a top 10. But I got injured, you know, a month before the race and didn't do any running and had to pull out during the run because the ITB syndrome flared up. And then last year, of course, I thought it was going to be different again. And I thought I'd gone to that next level that I needed to, to be competitive. And yeah, I was at the front again for a while, but then ended up getting my ass kicked again. So I was quite happy to, to not go to Kona. I said to a lot of people around me that I didn't really want to go to Kona this year and I wanted to take the time to get it right before I went back. And it's yeah. very difficult um, in, in, and this has come up in, in a, a few different ways, this conversation, but it's a massive ask year to year for, for on our bodies, what we do and actually expect to keep getting better. Um, I've been doing, I'm 31. I've been doing this sport professionally for for over 10 years. And I think once you start racing Ironman, you only, you only well, guys like Crowley and Brownie are kind of like, they're proving exceptions to the rule, but it does take a lot out of you. And I didn't honestly believe in myself that I could be the athlete that I wanted to be this year in Kona if I just kept doing what I was doing. So I was kind of willing to take a year off and I was willing to accept that I might lose some, some sponsorship or 
some credibility um, amongst my sponsors or or um, fan base for not going. Um, so we'll we'll see yeah. we'll see where. I, well, the, the the footnote to that is I started with a new coach this year, um, Philip Seip, a German guy who coaches Sebi and and Laura Philip, um, and a, a few other top top um, pros and. He kind of convinced me to make the effort, like at least now put the emotional investment in to assume that you're going to go this year because um, yeah. he was pretty confident that he had the change um, to implement that I needed and I kind of feel that he's the right guy for me to get me to the next level. Um, so what was his pitch though? What was his, I mean, what what's the pitch when a uh, <laughs> you know, coach is looking for someone? Well, I mean... We have this joke between me and my mates. So I've got some mates who aren't really involved with the sport. They're not triathletes, but they keep up with what I do. And yeah. um, I kind of maybe take some screenshots or some recordings of Philip talking in his German way when we have conversations because it's quite funny hearing hearing a German, you know, do what they do. They're kind of mm-hmm. they're kind of serious, and it's kind of funny funny as an Aussie. And and anyway. His whole pitch to me was, Josh, um, and and my friends repeat this line every now and then. They, he, Philip says, Josh, we're going to go to Kona this year because I think we can have a good performance together, and that's all it was. And I kind of like bought into it because because I yeah. believed him, and I didn't obviously make it sound funny, but. Um, yeah, when, when a German. Of course, the Germans, they love to talk about what they can do for the triathlon. We love triathlon in Germany. It's the best ever. We've got all the world championships. We don't fuck around. We're the best. And we wear Speedos. Everyone loves the Speedos. If, I mean, did it make you feel better with, you know, the company who didn't say have a great Kona, you know, like Brownlee and Sanders and, and, and that lot who didn't, you know, didn't you did do their normal numbers? I mean, of course, like the first thing, for me, for me when a race is over, I kind of know it. Like if I get dropped on the bike, it's generally because I'm totally fucked and I can no longer like turn the pedals. So I know my race is over. There's no coming back from that in an Ironman for me. So I'm not always in, you know, I'm no longer in denial about, oh, if I can just get to the run, I can pull this off. And I I just know. So the first thing I'm looking for is, um, like who I'm catching, who's also blown up on the bike. So like last year it was Maurice Clavel, who the young German who's I think like my age or very close to my age, and he yeah. was doing that crazy super tuck stuff, super tuck oh, pedaling off the front on the bike, and and it was awesome to see him blow up. So I'm just like licking my chops, <laughs> waiting to see who else is, has has cocked up. So like he was the first one I caught last year, and then. You know, when you get to the run, of course, I'm not catching anyone. Maybe someone's walking ahead of me. Like one year, Nils Fromhold was walking and I was caught him and yeah. I was like shuffling, yeah. but I still caught him. And I, I was like, yeah, you pussy. Um, I, I don't know. I just love catching these guys who also cock up. So you just look in who else is, you know, who else is suffering. And it's kind of like just makes you feel good because it's like, oh, you know, I'm not the only dickhead out there. But <laughs> Yeah. It's a, it's, it gets real lonely, doesn't it? When you, you look at the, I mean, the top 10 in Kona, people, I mean, if you've never been there or, or, you know, not that I can ever say I've raced it, of course, but, you know, being there a number of years to record it and stuff, and you see how hard it is just for the, the biting and scraping to get into that top 10. Oh, yeah. You know, and then 
the talent that's not in the top ten, you're like, Jesus, he didn't make it. Wow. Yeah. You know? Well, you, and you look at the you look at the results and you think, you know, this guy got eighth or ninth or something. They're twenty something minutes off the pace. Like, how hard can it be? And you you look at yeah. you look at these results and you're like, that that can be me easy in that top ten. And then yep. you go there and you get for me every year. I've just been caught up in the race. Like last year. I swam way too hard. Um, I, I didn't get the record, but I think if conditions were uh, were, were good, if conditions were flat, then I probably would have been under the swim course record. And you look at the guys who came out around me and the front pack's never been so big for how fast the swim was. It was crazy. And yeah. most of Were the, you proving a point though in the swim? Were you trying to prove a point? I was just more or less trying to set up the race. And but I just yeah. ended up swimming. I just got caught up in it and swam way too hard. But the you know yeah. guys like Patrick Langer and he he would have swam minutes quicker than he ever had, and he pulled out by ten or fifteen k on the bike. And I don't yeah. I don't care what excuse he gave, he swam too hard and he was screwed. Um, <laughs> so so a, a lot of people you just get caught up in the race and. Yeah, and you make stupid decisions emotionally that you don't think you would at any other time, other than when you're right there in the thick of it, and you're like, "I'm going to go with this," or um, and stuff like that. So yeah, you you look at the guys who who are out of the top ten and the massive names, and it's kind of mind blowing. And it just yeah, it it goes to show you like how big this race is and what people will be willing to do to do well at it um and yeah if, you, if yeah, you're over prepared or under prepared or anything you know there's just no way you can bluff your way through it at all well 751 i mean you two and try tim o'donnell runs a 759 and doesn't even win <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just, yeah. you know it's like give me a spell you know yeah. kilo I, with a you know the 802 same thing they don't win yeah i will give to credit i mean Frodo doing what he did was incredible, but I think we all know like when he wants to be, he can be hands down the best in the world quite easily. But someone like To, like I thought that that guy, I'd kind of written that guy off, and uh, yeah. a performance like his, like, a performance like Rodino's doesn't inspire me so much because I know for me it's just not achievable. Um, but for someone like To, I think. You know, I look at that and I go, "Well, I think at my best, I can do that as well." So, um, yeah, he's he's, more he's, yeah, he's the bell bower though. I'm not saying that he's I'm better than him at all, but I just think that yeah, that kind of he's just he's just like to you know he's not he's not Frodo. So I think I think he knows that he knows his limits and stuff like that. But yeah, I think what he did is achievable. Um, the like he's the bell bower though of the sport, isn't he? Like, like oh, yeah. Tim O'Donnell's a kind of dude, I reckon, who you could get into a corner and you'd be wailing on him, and he'd just turn around and KO you. <laughs> you know, he seems like the sort of bloke who would be, you know, that dog in the fight kind of scenario. He's just super, like, hard as a coffin nail. He's like Captain America. So. <laughs> every <laughs> well, single, it's a lot of responsibility. Every single bike he's had has had the American flag on it, like. Yeah, he's running. One it, way or the other. He's running it pretty hard, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, geez, you'd be, you'd be pretty stoked not being in America at the moment, though. Good lord, with what's going on there, yeah. led by that man. Um, mm-hmm. It's a. 
a whole new world. But um, one name that popped up last year that, you know, in Kona that kind of gave everyone the shits, to be honest, is Vinokurov. Did you ever see him or did you hear that that sort of the pros talking about him? It seems almost, you know, like the cyclist, you know, jumping ship when they've retired. Like Cam Worth's different because he obviously um, – you know, he's obviously still pro and still current and all that kind of stuff. But all these ex-pros who are just running the age group mm. seems to be an odd scenario. Yeah, it's not so much like a topic among pros. Like we don't really need to talk about that. Or, you know, you might have some opinion about it. It might come up. But it's definitely not like a talking point. I didn't really see this, like those cyclists, you know, Vinikurov and those guys until the, the award ceremony and seeing like Vinikurov get up and like celebrate and not really give one shit about like the, the opinion <laughs> of everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it was just like, yeah. you, you know, and I think that's where like the culture of where he comes from comes into play. Like there was, yeah, it's like he kind of had forgotten who he was or something or just like didn't really just did not give a shit. And, and that's what I think too. They don't care, do they? Like they're, they're like he he's been castigated for years by the media. I mean, he's been hauled over the coals. So what's a skinny triathlete giving him shit going to do or mean? It's whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. make any difference. Yeah, you know. seems a bit weird though when I saw his name and you know it just struck me because I mean he had a good day out. He made the front sheet of the results, so he had a pretty decent day. Yeah, I think when those guys race, like I just it's just good when you like when you ride better than them really in it if <laughs> like for who they are and what they've achieved in cycling and you know a multi-sport person goes and rides better than them you know i think that's pretty yeah. cool <laughs> yeah i can i can remember watching Kedal evans years ago in a bay crit race in uh down near my way and he was bridging a gap to all these gun pros and everyone's going, who's this bloke? Oh, he's a mountain biker. He's a mountain biker. And, you know, we watched him bridge, you know, a minute gap on a hot dog circuit, just driving and making these other guys look ridiculous. And then, you know, you find out years later, it, yeah, it was Cadell and, and look what he achieved. I mean, the greatest cyclist Australia's ever produced without a question in my mind. Yeah. Um, so what for you though is the, the, the way forward? Obviously, you know, COVID, 19 is doing a number on the world you like everyone else just in a wait watch and see yeah pretty much when when all the races started getting cancelled uh it was it's just pretty easy to shut it down in it um nothing really to train for yeah. so i was i was quite happy to to take a break to be honest uh you know you're doing this year after year you take three or four weeks off um, at the end of every year. And, and I think this is where it's important to highlight that for Australians at the end of the season, it's summer when we finish here and the weather's fantastic mm. and we've got more daylight hours and you kind of always, you, you take a few weeks off training and then you can't wait to get back into it because it's so fantastic, like training in summer. You can train all day. And I think that's kind of yeah. led, it leads to a constant cycle of, you never really get enough rest and when when you when you're doing this professionally for for over a decade it's really easy to just get caught up in that and and the 12 month you know racing calendar like i was getting ready for geelong 70.3 which is like the traditional season opener here in australia and mm -hmm. 
And whenever you go to Geelong, it's the first race of the season, but you know you've got to be on because it's always one of the most competitive races in Australia. And and this year when we rocked up, we it was literally – well, it was the Australian champs, but it was, like, really the Australian champs. The only one missing was, like, Cam Worth. So yeah. you had to be on. And it's just, like, a massive ask to, to, to be ready at that time every year for those big, for that big race. So, um, I was quite happy to, to go back into like hibernation. And, um, I say that though, but I pretty much picked up the, the, the work tools around here and started like hard labor and landscaping our backyard <laughs> here at home, which is just stuff that gets neglected when you, you're too ruined yeah. from training all the time. So I had fun like learning skills and botching stuff up and fixing it up and, um and doing that for a few weeks and now i've kind of i've got the mojo to start training again and and we'll see my i'm pretty confident that in my coach that he has like a long-term plan and we can easily work on some stuff that gets neglected uh so you know when you're trying to train for ironman so we're pretty much just doing like vo2 work and trying to trying to get back into some speed stuff that is quite easy to train for you know it's not the the long massive Ironman days that you do that burns you out mentally and physically. So the training at the moment is just, just fun. And, you know, we, I have no expectations as to when we'll race again and when we'll be able to travel, but, um, yeah, just going week to week really at the moment. I got asked by Ironman today to do the virtual racing in a couple of weeks. So I might, jump onto that with with no expectations and <laughs> yeah 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 and have you have you managed to keep your sponsors together and all that has that been a you know the commercial aspect of it being tough for you for everyone or for yourself you held on to everyone yeah i think that uh I, I feel pretty confident that i have great relationships with all my sponsors so i don't think that and i had the win in geelong which which did me some favors and so i don't think i really have a great deal to worry about but of course you know, I hope that all my sponsors survive through this period as well because with the racing down the toilet, you know, we're out of work. So the only line of income we have is through our sponsors now. So it's been yeah. a bit, bit of a trade-off. Obviously, I've kind of picked up um, the social media accounts of a lot of them and done the, you know, done the, done the takeover and stuff like that, which, you know, if you've seen any of them, I hope you'd think that they're different to everyone else's. I should try and keep no, it. No, they're good. I, 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 mate, you're our first port of call for uh, this podcast, mate, because you're, you're a different cat with the way you think, which is good. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's been, you know, I've been trying to keep myself busy and obviously show show value in, in other areas apart from the race course. So it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just yeah. really we're kind of getting the sense of that it's going to be a lot longer than what everyone thinks at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we'll... we'll just have to hope for the best and cross the fingers. Yeah, no doubt. And um, you know, the social media aspect of it is that again, is that something you enjoy? Like, like I know it's part of the job. Everyone knows that. We spoke to Tim Reed earlier this year, was saying the same thing. Um, you know, any plans to get film crew just following you around? Because I know you've been followed around a bit, and I've seen some of the work, uh, which is good. I mean, obviously it helps you and builds the profile. But is it just just part of the necessary evil now, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird space because you've got you've got guys that like hire out people. Like you know, you can assume that Lionel Sanders has Talbot Cox there three days a week filming him, and 
Um, yeah. And there's those relationships like that, um, like Reedy and, and Corrupt Vision and stuff. And um, I'm kind of like, I wish sometimes I had someone here to like film some <laughs> of the, the, the stupid shit that I want to do. I like having fun. Yep. And, yep. and, but at the same time, like it's very easy to get worn out from it. And, and it's always important to remember that that's not really like what we're trained to do. And that's not really our job. Um, we, you know, our yeah. job is to perform. And sometimes you have to re- remind the sponsors of that. Um, when you're between races, it's really hard to, to write a race report that's entertaining. Well, um, like, like it's just hard to, to do the communications and, and everything. And, and try and do all the, the visual photos and, you know, you've got to get permission for photos or you have to pay for them and, and all this stuff. It's hard to, to do all those asks and juggle that with, with say, 10 to 12 sponsors. And um, But uh, I, I, actually, I generally have fun with, with the stuff that I do and that's why on social media I go, I might be very active for a week and then I might be really inactive for two weeks because... Maybe in that one week I've got some ideas and I want to have fun with it. And I think I, like I actually like to entertain myself with that stuff. And Ash sees me do a lot of this shit and she's like, that's so dumb. You're not going to post that. And, (laughs) and I do. And then I get like a hundred messages saying, telling me to do more, post more, do do, do more. So I've got like, Ash goes to bed like angry because I've haven't listened to her. And so I'm, but I'm like, oh, this is what this is what people want, and this is what I have fun doing. So I'm going to do <laughs> do more of this. Yeah. Um, but I think for for me, like, say, if I write a race report, um, like, I just I I find that stuff fun. Like, I find you know, social media accounts like Batuta Advocate and stuff like that's just funny. Like satire. I love making fun of of our sport yeah. and making fun of other athletes, and it's something maybe. Well, the classic, um... Sorry, the classic cupcake with cupcakes with Callum. That thing was. That was uh, that was a show that needed to go bigger. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, if someone wants to put a, a microphone in front of me more often, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd be happy to do it. But at the same time, like, I kind of have to sit away by myself and work out what what's in my head doesn't necessarily come out very easy. I have to kind of like screw myself away and. And I can't give attention to Ash for like a couple of hours and she always gets pissed off at me because she knows I'm doing something and she knows it might be controversial and, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I like to have fun with it. Um, I, I must admit you're, you're on the last sort of point, your, your race reports though, that shows, I think you are the clubhouse leader when it comes to race reports. Can I just, I just want to give you a little bit of your own work. Um, from last year's Kona, um, finish line here, get shooed away before Hog crosses a single shred of dignity remaining. Could be worse. Last time I finished with shit in my shoe. This time I'm this time finishing as just a metaphorical shit. Mahalo. <laughs> I mean, that is some, that's some deep stuff, mate. Yeah. So in that moment, like I'm crossing the finish line, I've labored for four hours to get there since I blew up on the bike and, Literally, Annie Haug was just about to win the women's race. So I got chicked because she beat me um, in time, right? Like, because they go mm. behind us however many minutes. And and I'm <laughs> literally, like, the people grabbing me to shoo me away 
have no idea. I've got like shit all over me, and oh, it's just <laughs> you just get shoot. Like it's this thing that you've spent hours working towards, and then you get there, yeah. and then you're like, yeah, it's you're not even worth. It's not even worth you being there. Just just leave, and you got shit all over yourself, and it's, <laughs> it's quite humbling, really. <laughs> It's just a win, isn't it? It's just a win. It's the best sport, I tell you. I've, I've heard that a number of times. Never shake an eye man's hand straight after the race, mate. Just wait till they clean themselves up. Yeah. Well, mate, I tell you, it's been absolute fun chatting here for an hour, and I think we'll uh, we'll call we'll draw a line through it, mate. But uh, look. Wish you all the best for uh, what is to come. You know, we, we don't know, of course. We're all concerned by what's happening around the world. This is just, if this gave you 50 minutes of fun, then, you know, we've done our job um, and something to listen to. Uh, Josh, you're an absolute champion, mate. Look forward to watching what unfolds and seeing you uh, toe the line, hopefully in three dimensions, uh, mm. as soon as we can. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Phil.